0: Hey everybody, it's Jackie Johnson, host of Natch Beauty. We talk skincare, we talk makeup, we talk all things beauty, and my guest this week is Ariana Maddox. Hi! What do we talk about, Ariana? Oh my gosh, we answer all of your questions. We do. We talk about how our dogs were in a Pharrell video together. We talk about... Uh, exfoliation. Oh, we talk about exfoliation. We talk about uh, tanning, self-tanning. We talk about laser hair removal. We, we go there. We
1: dive, do a deep dive in my makeup bag. We And Tom's. And Tom's. <laughs> and Tom's <laughs> Sandoval's. So maybe check out Natribute this week and see what we're talking about. See you there. Guys, finding quality denim jeans is tough. And to find a good pair without breaking the bank is just uh, almost impossible. But at distilled, spelled D-S- TLD, you get like brand top quality jeans at a price that won't break your bank. And I know I said break the bank, but I like saying break the bank. And I'll say it again, break the bank. But just go to distilled.com, dstld.com, right now, and use the promo code FERAL and check out and get a twenty percent discount on your first pair. And these are great jeans. I love them. I wear them all the time. Heck, I sleep in them. Distilled jeans. They're the best jean you're ever going to wear. In fact, I shower in them. Distilled jeans. D-S-T-L-D. They're good quality, super duper denim. And, you know, it's not going to cost you like $200 or $100. Go to distilled.com. D-S-T-L-D.com. Do it. Get some jeans. Look cool. Hey everybody, it's Conversations with Matt Dwyer time. That's me trying a different approach, because I always just say, Hi, welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. That music you're hearing there is Les Blanks. Uh, I would like to thank them for letting me use that song. Go to lesblanks.com and buy that song, and other songs by the great Les Blanks. But I'm not going to start it that way today. I'm going to start it off with, Hey everybody, it's Conversations with Matt Dwyer. It gives it more of a 1970s FM radio feel. Uh and i that's uh I think that's gonna be my new approach. I'm wearing a shirt that's only uh got the bottom button buttoned, so my sweet chest is hanging out. Uh my hair's feathered parted down the middle. Maybe I'm smoking a doobie and uh listening in to some fucking almond brothers. Maybe that's who I am today. Speaking of smoking doobies, uh today my conversation is with William McLaughlin who runs the uh, Impact Rehab Center there in Pasadena. They've had some famous people, some famous drug addicts there, and then some gangbangers there. It's a very interesting place. The conversation is pretty great. The weird thing about this conversation, and I don't know, if this—if you haven't listened to the show before, that's pretty much my show is just that. I have conversations with people about what they do and their lives. And <laughs> the awesome thing about this episode is we started recording it, and... Uh, the first 20 minutes of the conversation are unbelievable and fascinating and you hear William talking about uh being homeless his his battle with drugs uh, growing up uh i actually went into some very in-depth awesome uh really like it was a very personal conversation and then 20 minutes into the conversation i realize uh when i hit the record button i didn't hit it correctly So it didn't get recorded. (laughs) So the 20 minutes, the first 20 minutes are, they don't exist. And so this episode, the great thing is, though, the episode still that we have is really fascinating. William's a really great, interesting guy. And we, uh, but this conversation starts with me realizing I haven't, been recording because <laughs> William suggested like, that we should just it is what it is and we should accept it and go from there. And we went into some really interesting thing. William talks about being uh, you know adopted and and have meeting his real father. It, it's really interesting. It's one of my favorite ones. And I, I actually probably will interview William again because he's really awesome. You know, way down the road. So enjoy this conversation with the guy who runs the Impact Rehab Center in Pasadena. Bye. Thank you. Listen. Woo! Thank you for listening to this conversation with Matt Dwyer and William McLaughlin. I really think that's a great one. If you enjoyed this uh, episode, please tweet about it. Tell your friends. I need... I need... And review it. Go to iTunes and review my show. That's really, really important. You can also... If you want, you can donate to my show. uh, Because I drive all over the place for this thing. And uh, I gotta eat lunch. And I gotta pay for gas. And I won't lie to you. Not a lot of money in the podcast world, and I'm not getting a lot of other work in the uh, in the showbiz department right now. It's tough out there, everybody. You know this, but, you know, you could uh, make coffee at home instead of shitty Starbucks, and you can give me a couple of the dollars. I don't like asking for money. I'm Irish Catholic. I got a lot of guilt. That's not easy for me to do. But if you don't want to, like, give me money directly, you could go on the feralaudio.com website there, and you could go shopping through my link on Amazon, and I get that money. I get that money and go. And by the way, speaking of feralaudio.com, go to the website and uh, check out some of the other shows there. There's some really, really super duper awesome shows. There's Dong Teeny with my friend Stephanie Drury, and uh, there's uh, there's a lot of great shows. Not just uh, guys me talking to uh, weirdo people, but comedy. Hoodly do there's a lot of hoodly do there so thank you and please 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 tell everybody about this show if you enjoyed it and if you didn't enjoy it shut your flapper and review it on on itunes anyway have some good karma for yourself thank you for listening and i will talk to you very soon Oh, God, I I just had a depression. Let's get a drink. I can't fucking believe this. Are you serious? Oh, Oh, no. I'm seriously in pain.
0: Again, you can't change the past. (laughs) I'm embarrassed, because I just wasted your time. No, 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 don't
1: be. I was like, why is this counter not working?
0: And it didn't run out of time? You didn't run out of... No,
1: uh, it's digital. (laughs) oh
0: <laughs> oh and I dropped some names well now, at least now I don't have to be embarrassed if, because we can't repeat oh, Dave Beckham's I'm <laughs> so
1: fucking depressed well if there's anything you would want to edit out that's always an no, option no of course
0: not of course not
1: oh and this whole time in the back of my head I'm like oh this is going very well this is great <laughs> this is so perfect
0: oh fuck this is the worst day
1: I've had in a long oh boy
0: That's, well, you know.
1: I need to stay here for 30 days (laughs) just to get over this moment of I
0: suggest, can I make a suggestion that you turn it on now? It's on. But I mean that this be part of the, it is what it is.
1: It is what it is. It is
0: what it is. is. And we just continue, but also acknowledge that this is the worst day of your life.
1: I just, (laughs) I feel like a total fucking asshole. (laughs) And that I've been so neurotic and so paranoid about fucking one of these up. And then the whole time, I'm like, oh, you didn't put the fuzzy things on the microphones. I'm like, oh, that'll be okay. You're in an office. I
0: actually just thought, I'm like, wow, he's right. These do go to places.
1: That no one will ever hear because I fucked up.
0: (laughs) Well, but now we have another. Here's what I, this is what I get from him. I'm like, oh, good. I get to talk for another hour.
1: (laughs) If you enjoy it, it's like, and you know, I got this Irish Catholic fucking garbage where I'm like. I feel, now I just feel guilty, and I'm going to feel guilty the whole time, and I'm going to be like, and I'm just assuming you're being nice. <laughs> no, 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 no. And you told that story about uh, uh, strangling uh, uh, Jim Belushi, <laughs> and no one will ever hear that <laughs> great, and believe me, everybody wants to <laughs> strangle Jim Belushi. Oh, fucking. I want to say the most foul things just to make myself feel better. That's healthy, isn't it? No, then that's you... fine. That's oh, fine. Oh, I don't need fine. those Oh, recorded. but you're right. That was because I was, I was thinking to myself. The blinky oh. thing. I just, fuck, I'm so, I don't, and I got really carried away because you gave me the tour and everything. And uh, I felt like we were being, uh, really getting along.
0: Well, and also, but I like the, f- I mean, listen, I haven't talked about this. Well, I, I can't tell. You. <laughs> now we, but see, then it's like, then it's like not natural because we we're right. trudging.
1: <laughs> Seriously, that Jim Belushi strangle story is really should write a book just on that. Right, right, right. So uh
0: <laughs> you gotta, gotta bring now you're sure it's on.
1: Though. I'm positive it's on. Uh oh, I fucking want to murder myself. And that was like uh we went about twenty minutes. Oh is that all? Yeah, that was all. Oh alright. I'm That's tedious to be with. It's hard to be no, with no. me. <laughs> But is there is there some sort of lesson to learn in it like in this? Because you were saying you can't go back and change the past and I get I'm really caught up oh, in you know, getting
0: we, but here's the lesson and again, nobody You know, what we did just do, we just spent twenty minutes talking about um well, talking about me, which is as... fascinating. Well, it is. No, I'm v i am would But but when I say talking about me, just going back to cause you had asked sort of some questions about alcoholism and and like what what was at the root of it for me. And what I, what you just allowed me to do is talk for a whole, I thought it was longer, but, uh, but 20 minutes about, you know, all the things that brought, you know, that, you know, I got to talk about me for. for uh,
1: now we're just going to sit here with long pauses.
0: Right? are <laughs> on such a roll. Oh,
1: <laughs> I'm going to be upset about this, and I'm going to go back to doing cocaine myself. <laughs>
0: uh, but, here's your, but your job is you've got to bring this back now. Oh fuck! I know. We got to figure out how to. How can we do that?
1: Oh, what was the first time that you? <laughs> I mean, because you have this very uh, complicated childhood, because you were saying you were adopted. Yes. And, and that's something I've always. Because you you were adopted. Uh, you did. Did you say your mother was uh, didn't love you or was right. abusive? Because right. I come from a very fucked up family and violent, and I feel like a lot of that environment, I think, makes you run to anything that's retreats and it's like we're in our society we're told like hey fucking drink
0: but i don't but i I don't you know i know plenty of people and because of the work i do i see these people today i don't believe that because my mother was abusive and because i was generally in an unloved situation that's why i drank i think i was if i was in the most loved most you know warm supportive environment i still would have drank because we see it here all the time that's one of the most painful things it's one thing to look at a family that's insanely dysfunctional, of course you're gonna drink. It's another thing to look at a family that is truly loving and supportive and there's this one individual who appears to be, you know, that black sheep who is running amok and creating this hell and, and you don't know why. Well it's at the end of the day, it's not about it just isn't about the environment, I don't believe. I think again, we talked about sort of your I think there's and there's, it was fascinating, right? but I think there's some. I think it's. I think some people have a relationship with alcohol and drugs where it's it's intended to sort of be a a crisis. It, it solves a crisis. It helps you through a crisis. Everybody does that. Everybody has a, a glass of wine after after a bad day, or you have a shot of, of tequila if you want to have some hot sex. I mean, we are seriously.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's where I've been going around. Right. i got to get some tequila. But, uh,
0: but, I mean, but I'm saying that, that's, that we use that stuff in our normal everyday life as a way to kind of modify or, or amplify situations. Well, those of us that struggle with it as a, as a, as a thing, we use it in extreme. Pl- but part of that reason is because we have extreme feelings around things. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's just like uh, my childhood was my grandfather owned bars. And he was like – he told me, he's like, drinking is good, clean, fun don't do drugs like that's and then he would let me drink beer when i was six and if you have you know that's i mean that's definitely there was conditioning of
0: i guess but you know you go to european cultures and beer which back then beer was not as heavily uh the the alcohol content of beer and still if you go over to some european uh uh the 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 alcohol content isn't very isn't very high so and it's not uncommon really in europe yeah it is you can get get
1: those belgian beers well you can get alcohol
0: high alcohol content but as like i'm just sort of saying that that culturally just like you go to france they give you a glass of wine when you're a kid like alcohol isn't inherently evil it's that some people have a different relationship with it and for me it was it was a physiological it was a, a physical and a mental and a spiritual issue with it i you know uh uh, or, or at least a physical issue with it. I, uh, you know, when I start to drink, a phenomenon of craving kicks in. Uh, but, but even before that, the thing, the things that lead me to drink are, are the, is, is, you know, and, and it's again, it's my, my perspective on living was was flawed, you know, and it still continues to be sometimes. That's all. Does
1: it? And how long have you been sober? Six years. Six years. Does it ever? Where you're just like, does it still kick in? Where you're like, fuck.
0: Oh no! It'll still kick in. I'll still feel. Um, there'll be moments, in, in, in because I use methamphetamines, also there's something that's common with that, which is a euphoric recall, where you can really go right back to the moment of whatever that high was. But it's it's fleeting. It's a second. It's not something that I dwell on. It's not a, you know. And I quit smoking three years ago, so just like I might, even though my, I, you know, I, I can sit in an office full of smoke, uh, if somebody else is smoking. It's not like oh, I'm really jonesing. But every now and again, uh, and not, and it's not because. It's not because I've had a bad day or anything. It literally is just some random shot will come through, and some memory of a moment or something like that will will hit me, and I'll be like, "Oh, that'd be nice." And nobody, <laughs> but nobody can look at a cold beer and not be like, "Oh, how sweet would that be?" Not because when I drink it, I think, you know, you know, because uh, you know, if I just have, a, I can't just have a nice one cold beer. I'll be doing coke off a tranny's ass and you know, a motel <laughs> have, have you Venice done Fifth Boulevard. You know, uh, you right. know. Yeah. But, it, but you know, it shouldn't be a surprise that the work I got into was work that not, again, not inherently supported a a chaotic lifestyle. You and I both know plenty of people that go through the process of of, of a career and arrive at a certain point of comfort in a certain place without having to have some, you know, colossal wreckage. It's not everybody has to have an Andy Dick life. It just isn't, you know, or my experience. I mean, most people don't. It's just... It, I think there is, uh, I, th- I can speak for myself, my need for self-approval, for approval, my need for people to like me, my need, because, again, it, you know, uh, coupled with maybe because, again, knowing who my father was and his creative sort, uh, I probably inherited also the, you know, I inherited a sense of humor. I inher- inherited a sense of, of, of uh, what worked and what didn't, what was good, what wasn't bad. But also alongside that was this this other personality, you know, flaws that I had that, you know, once – and I think other people have that as well. I think a lot of people in our business have that.
1: How how old were you when you found out who your father might possibly be? Four years ago.
0: Oh, four years ago.
1: How did you you discover that?
0: I, you know, got myself together enough to – you know, as an adopted kid, you always get that question, don't you want to know who your parents were? And I was like – I always I answered no, and, and because I was like I was I answered a certain indifference or ambivalence about it. And I swear to you, the the, the only reason why I didn't want to know is I seriously I didn't want to do the paperwork. I, I mean I mean is that wild that, that the the idea of finding out my destiny was just it was seriously just a couple of like forms away. I'd probably do the same thing. I'd say I can barely
1: idea. pay my fucking gas bill, let alone find out where my dad was. I
0: know. So I all I needed to do was fill out some basic stuff, and they called me three weeks later. And it was one of the most powerful moments in my life because it was this whole new dimension of you opens up. And I found out – and to find out that my father was Jewish, to find out that he had the, the career that he had, or at least the limited knowledge I had of his career because it was, it was reported all the information. Has he reported. passed away? I don't know. Again, I don't know. Oh, I'm, you just
1: suspect who he is.
0: I sus- uh, again, it's a much longer story than than your your recording obviously can handle, but we can we'll but, see yeah. if we we're recording. But no, I, again, I I had I had followed some leads on the internet based on some uh, shreds of information I had and I may have found this guy out in Tarzana. Who was the head writer for the Tonight Show in the '70s, early '80s? Who fit this profile and this, inf- this the bits of information I had? He might have been it, based on the fact that my original name um, was was Brad. My my given name was Brad. By my my biological mother, I was changed to William when I was adopted. So I just happened to go on the internet. I didn't happen to go on the internet. I knew enough about my about my father who that again was a co- comedian writer in the West Village in the 60s. That's a that's a small group of people. That's not a huge incredibly small. Yeah. Yeah. So and even if he was a second rate guy, I was like, well let me just see. Let me start to nose around and see who was on writing staffs and see. I just let me cause and also he lived a fairly public life. So let me see if maybe he you know, he was, he, and then I, but then I also remember, I'm like, wait a minute, my, my original name was Brad. What if my mother was doing some trippy back to the future thing where you're never going to know your father because she never told my father that she was pregnant. You're never going to know your father, but I'm going to give you some extraction of your father's name. So just for the hell of it, I punched into the, into the, into the Google. I, I did, um, you know, Brad or Bradford comic writer and who pump pops up But this guy, Hank Bradford. Wow, and I did some other. That's the first guy that came uh, up. Well, I mean, I, I, yeah, who knows? I don't know if it was. You know, it, I always want Spielberg to have <laughs> for Christ's <laughs> sake. <laughs> that's how I want my life. That's the, that's part of the reason I've been but a then, fucking. And demo. then I did some further. You know, he 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 started to. I I tracked this guy down. He was part of this comedy crowd. This this uh, this Tarzana crew of old, kind of writers and stuff like that. His daughter. He has two daughters. One's a U.S. attorney in Washington D.C. The other one is a writer for, uh, he's, she's in our midst, and uh, I, I sadly I can't remember her name, but she's, and it turns out when I, you know, thanks to Facebook, I Facebooked her, and she actually was friends of friends of people that I knew, so, and we had other things in common, just the daughter and I had other things in common that all of a sudden blew this thing open, plus he was, you know, I found out, you know, I just did the research and it came, it boiled down to, he, I finally contacted him after a lot of, you know, like, oh, do I want to mess with this guy's life? He's 70 something years old. But, you know, I even, I knew not only, the, I knew where he lived and I knew what his house looked like because thanks to Google Maps, <laughs> you can look right so it was kind of a trippy thing, but eventually we agreed to meet. He was an hour and a half late. Now, here, now, you think you have abandonment issues growing up. Here I am sitting in the lobby of the Jerry's Deli in the waiting for possibly my father at 41, my father, to show up. And dude's 40, uh, an hour and a half late. I finally, uh, you know, I, do you call him? Do you, like, finally he showed up. And I don't know. And and we 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 met. We talked. It's hard to, you know, I, I can't tell you that it was like. And he, he. Uh, I had a couple more things that he needed to acknowledge if 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 and of the two things one of them he did acknowledge he that he he fit that he met that criteria the other one he didn't so I still was left What was the didn't Well he the, the two issues left that I needed him to answer was was he an only child and what did his father do his I knew his father to have an unskilled job uh with a New Jersey newspaper and I should tell you that Hank Bradford, to meet him, is a very—he's—he's he's, he's a joke writer. He's just a joke a minute. He's very, uh, by his own acknowledgement, he says i he's, i can't pay attention very much. He's very fast. He's and he switches subjects left and right. So he's kind of wackadoo, uh, but in a very in, in an old kind of Jewish writer kind of way. He's a very—he's a very kind man. He's an extremely. It's like, it's like the guys kind at the man. top
1: of Broadway, Danny Rose.
0: Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. He's that. He comes from that that realm. That that ilk. But I said, I, he says, well, he's, I don't know, I don't know. He was very kind to me. He was very kind to me. He could have just been sort of blown me off, but he was very kind to me. And he said, um, he said, uh, he was like, uh, I said, so, I said, well, what about, uh, what did your father do? Oh, he said, uh, I said, well, were you an only child? He says, no, I wasn't. I wasn't an only child. I'm like, oh, okay. No, 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 no. Right, that's a pretty big one. I said, all right, well, there's this last one. and Because he wasn't on board with maybe him being my dad, which, whatever. So um, even though he met all these – other, he met some other criteria. But.
1: Most people probably wouldn't, I think, would want to not admit that, probably. maybe? Or am I just using my own know. shitty background? You know, cause
0: who, <laughs> yeah, because it is an unknown thing. You, know? yeah. you don't know who this guy is. The last thing was that his – again, the note I had was that he was an unskilled laborer with a New Jersey newspaper. And he goes, no, no, he's, this that this guy's father was. He goes, no, my father – I don't know. He, uh, he drove trucks for the Newark Star-Ledger. So it couldn't be that. Like, that's it <laughs> that's, exactly, yeah, that's it. exactly it but he wasn't hearing it it was weird he didn't hear it like I he wasn't what like, that
1: is like is it just denial or i don't
0: know i don't know i don't know it was the one thing and i couldn't i asked and i should have done this i people have asked me i never it occurred to me that i should have kept a napkin or a knife or something that he used to oh get dna sample you can't get
1: what about it. the made up one of the sisters do they now is there any resemblance like do the, any of them look like you? Do you be like, "Oh yeah, they got my, my I know
0: it's hard to tell in a picture. And he, you know, do you look like... I don't know if your dad's still around, but do you look like your he's, dad no. at this age?" Does no. he's he like- not
1: around and I I a lot of people see a picture of him and they're like, "Oh, you look like your dad," which I my dad I don't want I to I don't want to have any reminiscent of my father.
0: <laughs> 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 I yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I I don't you know, it's hard to tell. He was 70 something years old. I think I'm I'm going to guess that I look more like my mother. She was German and English this looks German and English. You look German and English. I, exactly. I don't look, but I'll tell you something. And this really was one of the more powerful moments in my life when I found out that I was, uh, that I that my father was Jewish. That was huge for me because weirdly, for you know, for a kid that grew up in New Hampshire, which we know where all the Jews are in New Hampshire, uh, for me to, and I've always, oh, I've gravitated towards I, most of my See, friends. This is are making Jewish. me think.
1: I'm sure my mom fucked around because <laughs> I've. I mean, I'm not, I have always been like all I watched and read was Jews. Yeah. It was Lenny Bruce, Woody Allen, yeah. the Marx Brothers, yeah. and then Philip Roth, and all these. And it's like I, people
0: think I'm Jewish, and yeah. I'm like, I'm an Irish Catholic. Yeah. And I. I thought I you were wish, Jewish, also. Actually, I wish I yeah, was. I but unfortunately, I, I, like everything in my life. It comes up just quite short. I can't claim because he's not my mother. It's my the father. If it's, oh, it, can't. I can't say that I'm Jewish. I have to say that my father was Jewish.
1: That's a weird rule.
0: Eh, it is what it is because you know it's like I get it because because in fact all the information I just told you was reported by my mother. It, she, this wasn't like because she adopted said, mother or no, the my, mother. My, my my biological mother when she put me up for adoption, she wrote she she gave the the adopt the the people here's the information that. That on the father, so it's all reported by her. You know, one other thing you should know also. Not you don't need to know this. I do need. You need to know. I've been driving over here, going. I need this one bit of
1: information.
0: (laughs) But my mother was my my adoptive mother is adopted also. Wow. Yeah, my family tree is like sawdust. It goes nowhere. It has no. I have no.
1: uh, Do you think that gives you like a weird, like a psychological? I think it
0: does. I think it makes. I think it has. um, It gave me a. There was absolutely a sense of, you know, because, you know, again, I was not any, you know, my, my mother was adopted, my two sisters were adopted, we're all independently adopted. So I, so there's no, there's no, like we, I, when I think about my family, it was just me and three people that shared a house together uh, for, you know, from, from when I was a youngster to when I was, I left home when I was 17.
1: Does that make you psychologically sort of feel, I don't know, ungrounded, like insecure or, because... Yeah, there were certain issues in my home. People always say, you talk about your dad too much on the show. But it's like, my father died when I was 12. It was very oh, violent. Yep, yep. And nothing's ever felt safe. And I have another friend whose father died when she was 12. And it's like, so we have talked about these. And there's just, there's never, you always feel like, oh, well, somebody's probably gonna fucking drop off or leave. <laughs> like, that's how I feel about it's everybody. So
0: weird. I've, I've got a few friends who's lost their dads, Corey, who you met, and my friend Eileen. There is, yeah, there's something that, for, for folks that lost their dad, especially, it seems, at that age and twelve. Great
1: to be in a relationship with a guy like me. Really, not paired, overbearing,
0: not frightened. I'll <laughs> really just. I should introduce you to Eileen. Oh, really? She lost her father at twelve too. You know, she's an Ecuadorian. Right, maybe that's right. my wife when she when she comes back. But no, I, I that listen. I lost. I you know I had a you know my my uh, I don't to answer your question. I don't you know my parents they adopted. I don't know why they adopted. I think it, in 1960 something, it was what everybody else was doing. They adopted three. Like you look at our family <laughs> portrait, is hilarious that she they adopted three strawberry blonde, just alabaster white kids, and they are two like black Irish people. My mother has like olive skin and dark hair. My dad, the same thing. It's like it's honestly, it looked like we were sitting with the you know we were absolutely <laughs> adopted. It was like like we have to know, yeah, this picture. There's no mystery to. to did you to... know?
1: Because in that day, the people kind of didn't.
0: I did. It was always something that was out there. Yeah. yeah. Did
1: they say it, or you just kind of were like, "No, ah. I think they
0: said it." I think they said it. Did... We also grew up. You know, we. Were, I grew up in in like New Hampshire and in New York, in an upper middle class, and I think it was always, I think we were always the family that they sort of talked about. I think it was always, and this goes back to again. This goes back to all. You know, nothing in my life ever seemed. To be um, exactly as I wanted it to be, it looked sometimes like that. I don't know how you grew up, but if you grew up in a family where where what it looked like on the outside was very different than what it looked like on the we, inside, we
1: oh yeah, it's funny because people will say like, "Oh, your dad was such a cool dude." I was like, I was fucking living in terror. Yeah. It was like, yeah. he wasn't cool. He was, there was terrifying. Yeah,
0: there was there was there was the the um yeah because we and we and my grandfather was uh, my my adopt my, the grandfather who was. My mother's my adoptive mother's father was a very very wealthy and uh, he he founded a company that was a big defense contracting company We lived with that sort of um, that thing and you know that was something that was all you know you know the the money that came from that kind of gave us a certain life it doesn't exist today it stopped existing some time ago so we went from living this somewhat charmed North Shore Long Island oyster Bay Glen Cove. Um, you know, every house on the block has a name. You know, it's one of those places. And then going from there, we we moved from there to New Hampshire, where we where we were running a motel at the beach, because my father had had a series of heart attacks, couldn't really hold a job. The money from my grandfather had ran out or was running out, and so we needed a business that was that my mother could run. Who she had no, she was an advertising. She worked as a model in advertising, living at the Barbizon when she was younger, but now life is changing. They're divorcing. We're moving up to a house, this. Basically Are you living a little, in a motel? We were own it. We owned the, the motel. It was a seaside. Oh. It was like a seaside village. Sounds it, was, clean. It, it, it was actually. It was actually. We lived right on the ocean. It was a seaside little seaside resort, and we had a we had a, a, a house attached to it, but it was weird to go from living from private schools and traveling all over the world up until eight or nine years old to now we're, we're, we're cleaning motel rooms, you know, which was just sort of odd. It was this very, the whole chain, we were living in New Hampshire, which at the time today, New Hampshire's really evolved as a, as a very wealthy kind of bedroom community to, uh, to, to Boston and stuff at the time. It was still, it was still called Cow Hampshire. It still was, you know, uh, uh, it, you know, I, I went to school with kids that smelled like barns <laughs> And whose fathers were lobstermen and, and uh, stuff like that back that's then. That's
1: kind of what I... I mean, I come from very working class. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I fucked up. <laughs> uh, but you work at Impact, which is a rehab yeah, yeah. center. And uh, I'm still fighting the the guilt and depression of that.
0: <laughs> I know. I mean, it is disappointing. I don't think that's a bad... No, because we had some good uh, I,
1: stuff. I know. I feel awful. And now you'd probably judge me. See, this no, it, it, all it, my neuroses no, no, coming No, no, that, that would, no. That but, wouldn't... Go ahead. Oh, no, no. I just... Uh, but I want. when was, like, the first... Time you started experimenting with uh, drugs or alcohol, or what was the progression of that? Because, and you, it took you till late 30s.
0: 41.
1: T- 41 is when you got
0: <clears throat> well, 30s, late 30s is where I started to look, where I started to pursue recovery. And I'd put some I'd put time together, I put up maybe it maybe a year.
1: Not to interrupt, but there, it is pretty common that a lot of people, those are in those years, that's a lot of times people do sort of. Become aware. Is that correct, or am I wrong on Mid- that?
0: As we we, find, we do find that middle age is, you know, when you come up against some basic truths about your life, which is like, oh, nothing is working.
1: Oh, and I can die.
0: Right, and I can die, and I'm living in a garage, and that was not what the plan was before. Or I'm arrested, or my marriage is over, or I'm I've got Hep C, or I've you know all these things. Hopefully, for the. You know, there's people that will go past those things that when I think I was on, I think there was a, mo- I know, I don't think I know there was a point in, in my life where I was like, you know what, I love being high. That's just how I'm going to be. I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to be high for the rest of my life. This is, you know, I'm, 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 I've, I've lowered my bar enough to I'm okay living the way I'm living. And, you know, and I'll figure out my hustle, but basically I'm going to be high for the rest of my life, which is a horrible place. I mean, that's – if you're having that conversation, then – then, and some people do. Some people, that's their conversation, and it might take – and they may never come back from that. They may then decide that uh, – and I was on the verge of, of advanced alcoholism, which you know because, you know, you can't go very long without a drink. This numbness starts to show up in your body. Um, you've basically isolated yourself from – Everybody, and uh, and you're pretty much living in the past, and all you're talking about is you know stuff that, you know it's just ugh, it's a horrible place. It is a
1: weird. I know a lot of people who take a lot of pride in their self destruction, and I mean, is that the there's also there's that image is that is that like hand in hand with the disease because I feel like I mean I know people are like hey I'm fucking smoking and drinking and it's like look at me it's noon and I'm like
0: yeah, it's fucking awful and you're <laughs> well, like I think in your thirties I think there's I you know there are those folks and, and punk rock I mean right, it's that right. fucking
1: bullshit mentality yeah that,
0: I mean I I can't speak to that because it's absolutely not my experience and those folks that might be their last stand before the, and I can't, I don't know for sure, but I wonder, do they, is that their last stand before they drift into isolation? And, you know, they I mean, did I, I'm wondering, did I ever celebrate, you know, um, I mean, I love, I was a huge fan of weed. I just loved that I, and I think part of my, my, I think, you know, when I was out on the scene, I wasn't the Coke guy, but I definitely had weed all the time, you know, so, but I, I don't think I was like, were you I, mostly booze? No, I was booze, weed, and coke, and oh, then and then, it got, and then and then I and I actually have it, and I started smoking crack. I remember I and I can tell you the exact day that I smoked, started smoking crack, because I wrote it down in my apartment on 49th and 9th. I wrote and, it down it like on a post it. Post-it. I don't know why. I will never figure out why this was an important milestone for me. I think because I had been thinking that that was eventually what was going to happen is I was going to start smoking crack. And I was working at Catch Rising Star, and I was coming home late one night. I had my drink on because because the fact that I was now working at Catch, having had the career that I had had up until that point, and I and not that working at Catch was a bad place, but usually you want to work at Catch before you get the executive producer credit at HBO and you 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 do some of the other stuff. Oh, you, but went, I, you it went back. I was demitting <laughs> I was you know I was and, and and God forbid you know Rick Newman would ever hear me say this because he. You know, was like a father to me, but, but, but basically, I had moved into the bar. You know, what Catch ultimately was for me was not the esteemed, uh, legendary, comedy space. It was a bar for me, is what it ultimately was, and I got free drinks there all the time. So, and it was right down the street from my Coke connection. So, um, so my experience with Catch was that, and I was coming home one night drunk, maybe even had a little Coke in me. And was coming up through 8th Avenue, uh, you know, before, you know, you know, time, you know, before outdoor seating was popular in in (laughs) Times Square. Um, And a dude approached me and one thing led to the next and I'm smoking crack and doing other unpleasant things. Guy came up to you and was like, no, wasn't that simple. I was looking. I mean, I was looking for trouble is what I was looking for. I was looking to, you know, whatever my, wherever my head was at, it wasn't enough. And I needed to, to, to. Turn the volume up to 11. And I did that. And I remember at the other side of that, that morning, I took, and I still have it. I have it in, 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 wow. in, in a box. I smoked crack. I think it was, it was like June 26th, seventy nineteen ninety seven. 1997 was the first time I smoked. And I said the first time I smoked crack. And I'm like, and I said something pissy about it. I'm like another proud moment in my life. I mean, the self-hatred was just, you know. And then and that got me that and that was that was in June. I left. I was uh, leaving New York. Uh, uh, I was having my going away party in New York, uh, which was a it was the most pathetic, sad, 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 sad one of the saddest days of my life. And it was uh, and everybody was there to see it. They had no idea. all these you know. Uh, I I used to throw these big party. I used to, we used to host these big parties at Catch, which again was just another reason. To, and it was all the UCB. It was a whole crowd, you know, the whole world that was. I want because I was
1: in. Oh no, no, no! I wasn't there yet. No. No. But I used to go to still. New York. Well, well you know, but because you said UCB, I used to go around there a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. Around well, that we had
0: time. Amy, all those, and Zach. All those guys were all. This was they were all getting started, and I was all, and I was just, but I was drunk the whole time and high the whole time, and I was, you know, and I had a, I, I literally was living at the club, thinking that nobody knew this, but. Those that cared knew, um, but were too classy to say anything. I had my dog with me, but I was moving to New Hampshire like the next day. So we had a big going away party. The sad part was like the party ended for the most part. Me and Jim Biederman did coke until who knows when. Um, but after they all left, I it wasn't like, okay, now I'm going to go home and wait for my friend to go pick me up. I'm like... Well, here I am. <laughs> just <laughs> so kept going. This is where I live. It wasn't a matter oh, of keeping oh, right, going. Right. It was just oh. like I had nowhere to go. I was—I mean, I was essentially homeless for the last six months of my time in New York. But again, nobody knew because it's all about keeping up appearances. And it was—I remember one time i because I, I had to leave catch. Um, I had to leave catch uh, at a certain hour because the cleaning crew came in. But also on the weekends. Oh, that's right. So I went. Me and I took my dog up to Central Park. And I slept in the park and I woke up in the middle of a football game that was being played around me and the, you know it's just like a flag football game but I, and I'm kind of waking up and I'm just trying to like chill with my dog and be asleep. And it's like 11 o'clock in the morning but I' had been up all night because you can't I mean it could doing, you know just doing shitty things And but I'm and I'm kind of with you know and I'm hanging out but I hear voices playing ball. And they sound really familiar. And as it happened, I had – wherever I had crashed was exactly where some local comedy club, you know, certain comics and people, you know, met on a – you know, the healthy ones met on a Saturday <laughs> morning to play flag football. And here, Drunky was – had passed out. And, I, you know, if you can understand, you know, for a guy who was desperately trying to keep people unaware of how dark it had gotten, this was – how do I explain this? I just woke up in some random area of Central Park, you know, after having, you know, just shot out. And then, you know, every comic that is always looking to be booked with me or whatever is now playing. Uh, oh, it's just horrible. Just the demoralization of it all was just. Did you, like, make a joke out of it? Nah, I snuck I mean... away. They didn't even know. I don't, I think I got out. I think they never really noticed me, per se. Again, my, and also, given the size of my ego and who I thought I was, they could have, they probably could have fucking cared less. Again, what we talked about before is just i had a certain perspective on who i was and my importance to all of this the fact was i was i did some stuff there i did some yeah, stuff that maybe i'm personally am proud of but at the end of the day my in my my in whatever i whoever i thought i was wasn't who that
1: yeah. There's always, for me, it was always, there's like a two, there's always this, I'm fucking great and I'm a genius. And then there was always the part of me that's like,
0: you're a piece of shit. And yeah. like, I don't know if you had that. Like, but cause. Well, that's what fueled me. That's who again, I thought I was, I thought I was, you know, while I was in all this on one hand, I mean, it's that, it's that yin and the yang. It's like, I am, I'm, a. you know, I think I'm the, the best piece of shit in the world out there. I'm not a. Uh, you know, I struggle with enormous ego and a low self-esteem, and that's on a good day that I balance those two things, and I try with some of the s- tools and skill and, and, you know, and the spiritual programs that we have here and all that stuff, uh, but left untreated, you know, where I was back in the day, I was just, it was an ego run wild who who I thought I was king shit, but it, but way deep down inside, I was terrified everybody would find out that I'm sleeping in my fucking office. Yeah. And bringing street hustlers in there to do dope on the stage at catch. I had this whole thing. I loved I would because, you know, after everybody left at one or two and then after the after the cleaning crew left at three or four, I still had a few hours to go back and sleep. But I didn't sleep. I I brought nastiness with me and because the party <laughs> wasn't over. You don't. you're not out all night and just, OK, now it's time to go home to my homeless office. It's like your life is also so miserable at that point the best thing you can do is stay loaded because you don't want to face when I, when I wasn't loaded, I was a homeless, uh loser who lived out of my office who had foot fungus because I, you know, I barely, I barely show or, or when I would stay at my friends, you know, Dave Jeskow or no, these are just, you know, I would stay at different people's homes, you know, again, since it's New York, it's not a lot of guests, you know, it's not like LA where you can crash in a guest room or a, or a garage, or a basement, or a sun yeah. porch. In New York, you're in person, people's homes.
1: Didn't they, Didn't you ever think that maybe these street hustler guys would rob you? Or like, I don't know much about. St- I was probably street robbing hustling.
0: them. You know, I mean, none of us were acting good. You know, none of us were. You know, we're all shitty at that point. You know, there's no honor among thieves when you're. You know, none of I. You know, yeah. the st- I was hustling just like them. There was no. There's no nothing good. You know, because mind you, the behavior continued out here in L.A. In between moments of recovery, uh, I was, you know, I would default back, I would relapse back into crack smoking and stuff like that. So I, I was, you know,
1: before you came to Impact, like were you trying AA and were you? Yeah, trying yeah I was other doing very-
0: all. I was doing all that, but I, as I said, when I moved down here from San Francisco and Dave, this guy David Waterman and and uh, 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 Margaret Cho and a few others who were who were clean and sober, they introduced me as. And I'll forever be grateful for that to a whole community of people that were clean and sober. And we had all been partying over the years back in, you know, New York and Boston and stuff. So it was, it was part of my journey was to begin to look into all this and start to incorporate some of this stuff in my life. But I still had some, I still had, I still had to knock down my ego some more. I still had to hit another bottom or two. I still had to.
1: Yeah. Greg Barrett was telling me how he would just, Greg, yeah. He was. He would say we'd go do open mics, and he was like, "I was treating it like I just played at the Palladium and would party for three days." And he was like, "It was an open mic."
0: Yeah, no, I, he, it was the same thing. I I I, uh, I used, you know, I, I'll you know, I like when I say I uh, produce uh, uh, HBO producer credit. That was something that uh, I rocked. That like I, you know, if you know anything about how they hand out credits, I was managing a guy that HBO gave a special to, and instead of the guy um, paying my commission, HBO paid my commission and gave me an a, 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 a executive producer credit. Well, for years I used that as though because anybody outside of our business thinks that that's a big deal. Yeah, no, it's a fucking. I, when you <laughs>
1: said it, I, th- I was like, oh, you had an office at HBO and you were doing all these things.
0: No, and I prefer you. Pre- I prefer that you think that. You know, back I in will the day, think that right? from now on. Rather, it was just something that James. Uh, Who's the uh, William Morris agent? James.
1: Uh, I don't. Uh, but they don't. I don't know William Morris. Anyway. <laughs> it's but the people still do that, and even because you said like you can Google it nowadays and find out, but people still bullshit up a storm, and I think kind of still get away with it a well, little but bit. That, that, but they should. Everybody that's wants what whole, to believe. Well,
0: that's exactly, and they should. And I think I think that's I think if I had ch- listen, at the end of the day, I wasn't cut out for that business. I just wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, uh, you know, I just wasn't. It wasn't. Like I said, I didn't do any of the footwork. I did a lot. I showed up a lot. I knew how to mix it up with the artists. I have a sense of humor myself. I and I like I said, I'll admit it. I didn't have the balls to get into the business. I didn't have the balls to to stay on stage. I was on stage for a long time—not a long time, but you know, I did. I was on stage. I didn't, and I I wrote it off as like, oh, I want to be behind the scenes. I want to do no. I just
1: and you didn't want to do that either, though. Really, did you?
0: I just wanted. I just wanted you guys to like me. I honestly did. I wanted. I wanted to be friends with people that I looked at. And I'm like, you gotcha. You. you know, like when I saw David cross, he was amazing. When I first saw him at doing catch in Boston and I am and a friend of mine was doing stuff with him, Helene Lantry, and she and I had performed together and, and it was, uh, and I began to get to know everybody, uh, with that whole crew, uh, and we developed a show, and I, I knew I knew how to hustle people. That much I knew. <clears throat> so I got I got some stage time at a theater in Boston, and 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 I was able to sort of get you know uh, produce a show and get uh, get people to show up and all that because I'm good with you know I'm good with talking to people. You know, it, it was all it was me just wanting people to hang out with people that I really respected and really liked.
1: Yeah, I think that's what it was. I mean, I started hanging around Second City when I was a teenager and I think I was looking for community and family and wanted to be accepted. It was performing was almost second hand. Yeah. And I still kind of to this day performing is just like there's that like blah, like I I quit every year. I'm just like blah, it's all like it's it's all and the business is fucking awful. Like it's really hard to stay in there and be like stay healthy in the brain.
0: I and I somehow, and you're right, I think the, well, and I don't, but I don't think it's, it doesn't help me to, um, like the business is what it is. And I had to look at how I related to the business. And if I was, and again, we talked about this, how I talk about it today, the perspective that I have today is very different than the perspective I had before. When everything fell apart on me in New York, it was, it really was my Vietnam. It took me years of of just dark, just, oh, just, like I said, I, you know, that song, you know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And I was like, oh, I didn't make it there. And I suck. And I, and I was like, no, first of all, that's a chapter in your life. And first of all, and second of all, get, I had to get real with what, what that whole experience really was. And this is just for me. It was very, for me, it was very compartmentalized. I may be different from you because I don't do that anymore. I went on to then become – I worked in construction for a while. I worked in the porn industry for a while. I was uh, – I, I, Were, you, were know, you
1: an executive producer at Vivid?
0: <laughs> no, but <laughs> I was – I, uh, I worked in the adult entertainment industry. I managed Ron uh, – Ron, uh, Jeremy? Jeremy. I, 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 I ran this – the The media – The. I was the vice president of media and marketing relations for like the biggest adult company in the business for like How, six – Did you enjoy that? The job of my life. I don't – I don't I – don't. I know some people who kind of
1: do porn, and it's like, to me, maybe I'm just, it seems like I would, I don't even feel comfortable watching porn half the time.
0: I've always been a fan of it, but it wasn't, <laughs> but it wasn't, I Posters
1: think, on the wall I like happen kind of to thing.
0: be, I, when I first came to LA, I got, a, I got a small job, I was in early recovery, I got a small job working for a fashion PR agency, because I'd been doing PR in New York also, and I happened to be working with Dean Martin's granddaughter, who's classiest lady I've ever hung out with. She was about my age. She was, and she actually was about to marry a agent from CAA. And she had a best friend who was a general manager of a um, of this company called Metro Global Media, which was this um, massive adult entertainment company, heterosexual porn, straight porn. And they, uh, but they were getting beat up in the marketplace by Vivid, which is a much smaller company, um, but Vivid. Had had established themselves through the Vivid Girls and a few other things they got on Howard Stern and they presented a much bigger company and sold a lot more product than this company did. And again, this is right on the eve of internet porn changing everything. But they, uh, Metro Global Meter had, had been operating and they had a number of, of labels, Calvista, I forget what
1: they I were. own all of these companies. Yeah,
0: But, <laughs> product, but know, the he, fact was, that, but they needed somebody who had been working in the mainstream to come in and help them sort of do you know You know, become more visible in the mainstream turns out they weren't willing to do that also i had defaulted i'd relapsed and i'd it was just a whole mess but i you know the I, I often say the best thing i got out of working in the adult entertainment industry was dinner conversation because everybody wants to know about it and it was fascinating learning about the, the the industry but it was i was not a healthy man to be working in the industry not because i was indulging in the you know i just happened to be making a little bit more money and I had, I had chosen not to stay clean and sober. So I defaulted back to crack and all this other stuff. So I was, you know, I, I, I've done a couple of impossible things in my life. Uh, one, I got evicted out of a New York City apartment. That is nearly impossible. That's almost unheard of. Second, I got fired from a porn company for drug use, which, you know, you'd <laughs> think, you'd think that that would be a, 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 you know, and I was escorted out of the company by, by, uh, um, and this is a big, you know, Metro Global Media at the time was a, you know, I, I you know, it was a, a hundred million dollar a year company and it was, you, you walked, the corporate offices looked like we sold soap. It didn't look like we sold gang bangs, you know. What, what
1: did they fire you for? Just for
0: I was just a mess. I was just not, they didn't like me. I didn't like them. I didn't like, I wasn't doing my job, you know, whatever my job ultimately was, which was to be a minder of Ron Jeremy which was worth it. That was worth it. The, the, you know, that was a, a, a fascinating thing to watch, but it was also to to oversee, you know, media that, that you know, I, I would, you know, we'd have these big, what we called event things like gang bangs and things like that. My job was to assemble the media to come and, and report on, some you
1: know was it like an actual gangbang or is that Yeah a, no it was an actual yeah. and the media would come and they'd just be Well, a bunch media of being you know hustler
0: oh, right. penthouse whatever the and i over we were just starting our online stuff so i'd started i'd started working you know promoting all of that it was a ridiculous job though it was just it's
1: only in L- LA it was yeah yeah <laughs> but was... how do you go from you go from executive producing HBO. Uh, it's a Catch Rising Star. So how did you end up in what you're doing now, though? Because that's a very I mean, it's a right. pretty well, first drastic... All I, had
0: to, I had to really fully develop a crack cocaine problem and a methamphetamine problem, so I had to come to the You moment. were
1: willing to do anything to get this job, <laughs> I, is well, what that is.
0: Well, what it was is I came in here as a client, and I came in here, shot out. I was 41 years old, and again, just shot out. Just, just at I, I have just nothing to on. Did going your friends on.
1: say you got to go to this place? Or did you just like, I, okay, I've had enough? Because clearly AA and other sort of forms did not
0: well, and, and take for you. Mind you, I, AA is still a part of my life today, very much. A you part still of my go life. to oh, AA? Oh, absolutely. Okay. It's, it's what I do today to, to, to maintain my recovery. But. Um, but no, I had, uh, what it was, I came up with this brilliant idea. I I'd started getting loaded again, and I came up with, I lived in Echo Park. I shared a house with a couple of fellows, and I came up with this brilliant idea that, and nothing, I, you know, I was half ass working, doing construction. The, 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 that market was beginning to dry up because the housing bust and all that.
1: Um. How did you, uh, just to uh, get in? How did you feel doing construction? Because if I ended up doing construction, I'd fucking No, I loved the, it. It's oh, the I did?
0: absolutely loved it. Really? Ab- yeah, because I was It's the last thing on earth no, I wanted to do. First of all, you get real healthy. You get real I wouldn't strong. Mind. Um I I you know, and you do it in the city, it's a whole different game because you're kind of cool doing it. And again, I maintained all my friendships and all my relationships. So I loved going to Hollywood because I like you, I mean I've got friends that are very, very successful that are doing really, really well. And we still have a marvelous relationship. And they sadly they watched me fuck my life up quite a a bit and they, you know, they're, they're, they're dear, dear friends who, you know, at times I, you know, I, I benefited from their generosity and other times I benefited from them going, you know what, you're on your own on this one. Um, uh, but they, uh, But, you know, it's weird. When I say I did – and I did do construction. This was – but I was with like a hip building crew. We did Flea's House. We rebuilt most of Sunset Junction. We were the – I mean, I don't have tattoos, but we were the tattooed (laughs) – we were like this hot group of guys. You know, it was fucking Hollywood. So it was like, you know, and the guy next to me – the guy next to me had a music career that, if it wasn't for Cobain dying, they'd be huge today. You know, we did. You know, it, it was who, all. Who was that guy? Uh, a guy named Timbo. He. Uh, they had a band from New Orleans, and the night that they were, and this is a true story. The night that they were going to drop on Buzzbin. Do you remember Buzzbin? Remember? Yeah, yeah. And, it was, and Buzzbin was like TRL today. If you, oh if you pop on Buzzbin, I, your your career's right. made that night Cobain died and changed everything.
1: Real selfish of him. <laughs> but well, I mean it's
0: a, those were the stories with the people I worked with that I thought that was hilarious. And I was just another one of those fellows that 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 could have had an almost almost had and I was still talking in those terms. Well I used to do this and I'm you know I'm funny and I'm presentable and all that shit. So none of this and I can tell a good I can tell a good lie. Or I can I can tell a good twist of a story. So so we were all You know, so and but but but, you know, you know, and it was also you work in that world, you get fast cash, you know, you can make money real quick, especially when everybody's taking equity loans. And, and I bought a truck and I bought a cowboy hat. And I, you know, and I was, you know, I was a big homo, too. So I was hot as hell. I was like this big brawny, you know, tough guy that was working construction, driving a truck and all that. It was it was a role. It was just another kind of role I was playing. But And it was kind of cute to my friends because I wasn't doing what they were doing. I wasn't yammering on about the same, you know, about this deal or that writer's job or this. I was talking about whatever my life was, you know. But that eventually went south too because I, you know, my, again, my drug use, my drinking overtook all of that. And it eventually, I made the decision, I was like, I'm going to drive back to, uh. New York. That's where that's where life is going to get better. So I'm going to load up my. At the time, I got rid of my truck, got a totally dope Cadillac STS, which was just a, a ridiculous car for me to own. But it was so like, like
1: like a brand new one or like no, a, a it was classic. Like a
0: used one. It was uh, it was just a. It wasn't a class. It was just. It looked like such. It was such a dope fiend's car. It was just like (laughs) such a, it was like, you know, it kind of looked cool, but it was, it was like, if you really knew this, if you knew who was driving it, why he was driving it, and the fact that occasionally he slept in it. You know, you knew that it was like, oh, that's just sad, you know. But anyway, but I had this car, and I was gonna, I this, and it was a, you know, I'd like it had like a hundred and fifty thousand miles on it. This car was wasn't gonna make it to Vegas, let alone New York. But I came up with this brilliant idea that I was gonna do that, and I ended up getting out of my house that I had in Echo Park with friends, you know, saying, okay, I'm I'm gonna go stay at this friend's house to save on rent to go to New York, and I got to that person's house. And I never left because I just started I, whatever little bit of shred of money I had saved just started going to go into to my habit, and then I was just stuck at her house with no plan whatsoever and no so, money were you- and no money, no plan. And by this time, I had a, you know a, my a depression had really descended on me, and if there was any shot at doing anything, I, I was backed into a corner. So I can't say that I came into treatment. Uh, because I knew I needed it, or I had friends that I came into treatment because I had nothing else going on, which is probably the best way to
1: come. Like in a sense that I could go sleep at this place. Yeah. In a I, way.
0: Well, is that either I'm gonna just because and I was on a wait list here for three months. Is it? it
1: it's is it is it difficult to get in here? Cause it can be. How many if you beds? Hundred and thirty. Hundred and thirty. Right.
0: But if you don't have any money, sure. I mean, if I had money, I'd be in a heartbeat. But if you don't have any money, which most people when they're at the end of their they're using. Don't have any no. money. Yeah, so. my
1: brother was a free base guy back yeah. in the late eighties, and he couldn't get into a rehab center. Yeah, and things I,
0: are changed. California is very generous.
1: This, yeah, this is crime. Illinois where they don't give a shit.
0: No, well, most states don't. <laughs> or most they didn't, states, especially then. Most states don't. They're getting better about that now. Well, there
1: still is like a mentality, I think, towards addiction of, eh, go fuck yourself. Yeah. You did this to you." And it's yeah. like
0: it's not always like it's it's generally acknowledged to be a chronic disease now, and that it's something that is just something that you know, that we, that, and it's, people are victimized by this, but they don't act like victims. That's the hardest thing. People, people bring a lot of their personal stuff because of bad experiences they had with their father or their mother or their, you know, but they, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a, it's a sickness. It's a disease. It's a, it's treatable. It also can be, it can go into remission, but it's, it can also come out of remission and it can, it, but it doesn't look like cancer and it doesn't look like MS. It looks like somebody who's just running amuck out there making lives miserable. And it's, unfortunately it's you know it's mental physical and spiritual it's those things you know
1: combine. yeah i never thought i would be one who has a spirit like i was any i mocked it and was just like you're full of shit and it's like once you sort of start practicing something not i wasn't going to be specific about it i don't know why but it's like you start i've i was been thinking a lot like because i've been i've been practicing buddhism for a, a year now almost and i feel a insanely huge difference in my overall way of thinking that I would have never thought was possible. And the things that I want to participate in that I once, or, or the thing, you know, like any drugs, are now, it's like, it really doesn't, everything seems like a hindrance like it, to keep me off of what I should be doing, if that makes sense. No, it
0: makes perfect sense. And, and a lot of the principles of a 12-step program all around Buddhism, and they, they take a lot of that, which is accept what's going on, let go of the past. You know, you are where you are. You're exactly where you're at. really hard. <laughs> I mean, letting it's go of the past difficult. is really no, it's one ex- of the
1: more difficult things to – Well, it's
0: extremely difficult because we're – because that's who we are. I think those of us that – I mean, again, we, the, the, the alcohol and the drugs were simply a solution to my problem. My problem was I saw life entirely different than most other people. I saw life um, – again, I had a huge ego, low self-esteem – and again, this is such an old story. It's it's like I I've, I almost feel worried because I I you, you know, there's so many of us out there that talk about this, um. And my story is nothing. It's you know, I, I, there's some interesting points. In, uh, the de- my self destruction is uh, was was um, or, or destruction of self was uh, is no different than it's. In fact, I you know, there's people that have taken this, you know, places I I hopefully will never will never go. I came out of my 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 stuff relatively intact mentally and physically. You know, I, I don't have hep C. I don't have any, uh, uh, any of the, the... I mean,
1: do you feel like... Because I've done some incredibly stupid things in my life, and uh, I'll say it publicly. I've done a lot of uh, unprotected sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sort of like... I, I, I'm like, my dick should look like it got beat no, up by listen, Joe Pesci. No, I come out
0: of... <laughs> and I'm a gay guy that came out of the 80s. And I'll tell you, on one hand... I, um, I benefited from AIDS education that happened when, when, when we were all coming of age in the, in the mid eighties, when everybody was dying of AIDS. Yeah. but also as a young gay guy coming out, you couldn't turn around without somebody throwing a condom at you. So I benefited for many years from that bit of education. I will always, right. you know, I, I, the power of that kept me, I believe, um, um, free of hiv now that now come the 90s and a lot of us talk about this uh we all f- started to forget the rules and we started to get a little more lax in our in our
1: because well, aids doesn't exist anymore right well now it's so no, well, ki- i was, being, I <laughs> no, was no. kidding well but it's it's now it's, it's much, like,
0: it looks a little bit different today because it is much more manageable medically and things like that
1: i mean yeah because back in the <coughs> late i mean 90s and whatnot i knew you know several people who and it's like now i thankfully don't know anybody
0: well they're either dead or they have they and there may they may be in your life but their 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 symptoms aren't as obvious as they used to be there's um again there's now it's down to one or two pills that you take that manage this 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 whole thing and this is the result of a, a huge amount of money that went into research and and uh and and and, you know, looking for a cure or at least a more manageable way to, 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 uh, handle it. But, you know, bear in mind also, it wasn't just that, that it was, um, that it was a disease that killed you. And that's why, um, you know, it was also, it was also, there was cultural, there was all sorts of things around HIV and AIDS back then that was, um, that, that terrified people. Um, it wasn't simply just, uh, and one of the things, one of the, my earliest, Work that I did was with a group called Funny Gay Males, which were these three gay stand-up comics that uh, I began managing. And they were down in New York. They'd work at the Duplex. And there were three – it was a show. It was, a, uh, it was like the kings of comedy before – you know. and yes, the joke's there, the queens of comedy. But it was <laughs> – <laughs> I'll say it. But, but this was taking that – I mean that, these guys were sort of – and I bring that up because one of my earliest memories is managing them. Was we would this was back in the day where every because we went on tour these guys turn these guys uh, hit their stride as an act um, and Bob Smith I don't know if you know Bob Bob I don't most notable for being the first openly gay standup on um, uh, on uh, Jay Leno's show on on the Tonight Show um, and then and then Bob has gone on to be a, he wrote for Mad TV and he's written a, a few books now and he's he's a very was, successful was he a head writer. He may have been. He's tall, somewhat stoic fellow. Um, no, okay. He, he, today he sadly he struggles with ALS. Today he's uh, he's got that. He lives in New York now, but is also a very accomplished uh, author today. But anyway, but he and Jaffe and um, and Danny, uh, we would we went on tour. We actually these guys kind of blew up. These kinds did very well. They were the first of their you know this whole idea of, of openly gay stand-ups on stage. This is when the stand up comedy world was was really thriving, but all the voices weren't all we be heard. So these guys, and these guys were accomplished stand-ups also. They weren't just snap queens. These guys were as devoted and dedicated to their material as anybody was, if not doubly so. And so we got the, the Montreal Just for Last Festival. We went, we toured, we were playing rooms of 2,500 people, 5,000 people, going into major music, you know, major halls in each city. But every... In every hall, we had the first five rows were were um, reserved for PWA people with AIDS. And what I, I later looked back on this period, and I realized, I'm like, oh, you know what? We played a very, or they did. I was, I was just there as their, you know, to. You make were a part cool, of it. Played a really important role. The gay community needed to laugh. We had been through so much of people dying, and we were still in the thick of it, but. But the force of laughter that would come, especially when we went into more, um, less urban areas. I remember when we were in Pittsburgh, one of my most, I'm thinking of this particular show when I talk about this, was in Pittsburgh. And uh, what we learned when we would do these shows in smaller cities or towns is that men and women would drive from, for hours to come. Because, you know, again, it was before the internet. It was before people right. were really as connected as they are today. Before they would just come for – they would drive for hours to be um, – uh, to see the show. And the force of laughter was – it wasn't just that they were laughing at the jokes, which were, which were hella funny, but but they were – there was something else going on there. Such some Some, some – what do they call it when you're a Cathartic? Cathartic, yeah. yeah. Nice. It's rare I, nice. that I do that. <laughs> I forget to turn things
1: on. Right, <laughs> I'm gonna be upset about that forever. No, but okay. So you go through the program here, and then how does that evolve into you going from all this, these things right. that you've done? Well,
0: here's what happens. So, so I go through the program. I go through the the, the this this thing that hopefully if you do it well here, um, because there's an there, you know this, there's a program you're coming into here. There's a there's treatment that you get here, and then you go through that, and then you're asked, and we everybody here. Uh, if you want to stay and pers- and what we call an internship, which is really just you extending your treatment. And because I still had nothing going on out there and I had been now I was at 41 years of age and I still was in this place where I'm like, I don't know what the hell's going on. All I know is that when I'm here, I'm not getting loaded and that there have been some basic foundational changes in my life that I need to continue to work on. I, I had that presence of mind like that was coming. I was coming to in that sense. And it was done in subtle ways. It wasn't because I like knew this was happening. It was just that I was just doing the everyday bullshit that we ask people to do here. And it was just I was just I was cleaning my room. I was washing dishes. I was listening to people talk in group. I was paying attention to other I was just somehow I was engaged, even though I didn't necessarily feel it. But somehow there was some subtle things happening. And then I stuck around longer, and I was putting and, – and the internship here is quite literally when I – and going back to what I had said before where I hadn't – you know, one of the things I was proud of is I didn't do any – I didn't do an internship. I didn't do an assi- – I was no writer's assistant or, or agent's assistant. I didn't – well, basically, I was a grunt around here for nearly a year and a half. I was 16, 17, 18, 19 hours a day working my ass off to do nothing other than just the most basic of stuff for people here. I was There was nothing – There was nothing, you know, shiny about what I was doing. I was driving people. I was cleaning up shit. I was just... Were you still living here? Yeah, I was still living here. I lived here for 18 months. And then I went on to manage one of our transitional houses for another year. In that whole time, I... And again, I'm still keeping... I had friends... I I used to invite writer friends of mine to come here because it's kind of insane here. This is... You know, I, what I should cop to also is that it's wildly entertaining at this job. If you have a sense of the absurd and a sense of humor and a sense of of just, you know, of how we tend to look at things, this is the place to be. Because people <laughs> are at their worst and at, they're at their best here. And we get people. And because of our proximity to Hollywood, we get names and faces here. But that's the least interesting, the most it's, interesting right is when people come here after years of drinking and they think life is that one thing and they have certain demands. I mean, there's just, there are extraordinarily absurd things that happen here. And the fact that everybody that works here, we have over 100 employees, everybody that works here also is an addict or a alcoholic in recovery. That adds to the uh that just sometimes you sometimes you're like this is amazing what happens here just to, if you have a sense of the absurd which I absolutely do <laughs> I do and it's that's one I used to invite still I sometimes I'll invite friends to come by it's because I used to have another job before I do what I do now I worked over in clinical and I had this job we call it the senior counselor and the senior counselor is basically the one that runs this whole operation from like an air traffic controller's perspective he or she is the one. That is because we have people are being have to be moved around all the time. There's just stuff that always is going on here. We have 130 souls that we're taking care of, plus they got to go to probation, they got to go to health, they got this, they got that. It's all sorts of things there, and there's management issues with with clients because people are not on their best behavior when you take away the drugs and alcohol. So there's all sorts of things always uh, uh, jumping off here, and there are certain there's you know, you've seen – you You took a tour around. You saw some of the, the, you know, the tattooed faces on one hand. Then we've got some youngsters from La Cañada that don't know – that think they're dope fiends. And they might be, but they're not the kind of hardened guys. You know, there's all this stuff. That must women be a –
1: yeah, the cultural clash, it, it must be –
0: but it it finds its balance because at the end of the day we're we're addicts and we share some common stuff there are yes there's the outside stuff that sometimes people can latch on to going well I'm not like him I'm like you kind of are <laughs> you know you kind of are you smoke crack just like that guy you might do it in a you know a $3000 a day suite at the peninsula but and but at the end of the day you kind of went to the same jail he did cuz you got arrested for this and we have to have those conversations with people and we're not afraid to that's kind of we have a no nonsense approach that again uh, given that some you know there's people that you read that LA weekly thing they there's a fetishizing about what we do here because we do it um in a very no, we're not a malibu Hug it out kind of place. We're a bunch of addicts who've been through this program, who know how hard it is. But we also know your bullshit because we're capable of the same thing. So we're going to talk to you in a very direct way about really what's going on. And a lot of people aren't prepared for that yet.
1: Are there a lot of clinics that are? I guess clinic is not the right word. Treatment centers. Treatment center that is uh, is not like it's just doctors who don't know who haven't been through it. They know under different approaches.
0: Well, yes, there's a lot of places
1: that are run by. um, I mean, I think I would rather. Be participating in something like you said. People who've been through it, who know what the fuck I'm going through.
0: Well, you say that, but but think about it from a from a terrified person who's coming in, who's contemplating the idea that they're leaving, they're letting go of the one thing that helps them make sense of the world, which is their drugs and alcohol, at least in their their right. skewed mind. I'm, you know, you you're not quite sure they really want to be in an environment where everybody knows their shit. It's you know, I True. I I live for to manipulate people. That's ultimately. You know, that's one of my little secret things I do is, you know, because if I manipulate you, you'll act the way I want you to, you'll, at least the way I see it, and this isn't the reality, but this is sometimes how I, I you know, I, I operate less so like this, but but the people that come in here aren't coming in here fully formed people, they're kind of shredded, so, you know, yeah, it might make sense that they come here to you and me and... and but some people also respond to a warmer, more nurturing environment. It just so happens that's not what we do. That's all. It's not – I don't think one is either better than the other. But sometimes what does happen is people fail out of those where everybody's like, oh, come here. Let me, let me make you feel better about this. But they do that. But then they just go out and they're – you know they're getting loaded. Loaded the next day. Yeah. They usually fail out of those, and then they'll come to us, and they'll fail out of us also. I mean, I, you know, we're not miracle workers here. We, but we, but there's people tend to come to us. They get there's a by the time they come to us, there's almost this sense of like, okay, tell me what to do, and and I'll do. And and we like to we we know we don't like, but we're kind of the last house on the block. You know, if if you. um if you haven't, if, if if you if you haven't done well at promises in Malibu, or like, ironically, PRC, which is where the Sober House, those Drew, uh, Dr. Drew shows are all shot, uh-huh. is like literally 200 yards up the street. You couldn't get a more opposite. Um,
1: if you guys see each other in the street, you fight.
0: <laughs> no, no. Dr. Drew actually speaks really highly of our of oh, our program. Yeah. No, but he but but and in fact, I, you know, we have people that are here right now that were in that we on the show. And they, so it's so ironic that they, you know, surprise, surprise, stop looking out there looking for them. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I, I can't help it because I know a lot of people in
1: AA, and anytime there's a celebrity in one of their meetings, a lot of them will be like, "Hey, you wouldn't believe who was in my," and I'm like. Hey, is, that's kind of not? I mean, that's human that's nature.
0: Fun. Yeah, I think that's
1: just, yeah, I mean, exactly. And well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, actually, it's, I'm, I'm not again. like going, "Hey, don't tell <laughs> me." I'm like, "Who?"
0: Well, but I'm actually, as a, being in a clinical environment, I actually by law can't say anything. We have HIPAA regulations and all this stuff, right? You know. But no, I think the uh, you know the one thing we're known for, and I like this, is like we, um, like we treat bank robbers. We have, but bank I'd rather all,
1: see them than Robert Downey Jr. Right. I have well, more of a fascination with that. Right, than.
0: right. But you know, uh, but we have, and what's hilarious is, like, but we all types, like, we we treat mobsters, you know, uh, uh, so we'll have at any, you know, we'll have Italian mobsters, Armenian mobsters, we have the Crips, the Bloods. All the all the avenues. Does gangs, that any of the, that
1: like a a crip in a blood? Does the conflict or does all that change? The rule is left?
0: when they come in here, and again, you gotta understand that people are are they're sent here by courts. There's some there's some stuff over their heads that right. they have to um that they're paying attention to. Some of them don't care. But generally by the time they get to us, they've acknowledged that they want to be in an event. They don't care who's but we've had to have people sort of set aside their deal.
1: I wonder if did, like people get you a gangster or in a gang you get clean. Do you be like, all right, maybe I should get out of the gang world, or do a lot of that people go? sometimes. Some go back too and be like, no, I'm just gonna choke somebody sober. Everybody's always affiliated.
0: Everybody's always affiliated. And gangs aren't just about getting loaded. Gangs are about community. Gangs are about you know living in a in a you know in a in a in a socially you know um, uh, underclass uh, uh, community. And these gangs provide a certain structure and there's no it isn't just always that they're about a crime being a criminal enterprise. Um some of that exists. Um and unfortunately our law enforcement aren't always able to discern. It doesn't help that you've tattooed white power on your on your forehead or that you've got your you have know, you seen that? Oh yeah, we we get that we have that here all the time. We've got. That's, the, uh,
1: you can't really go eat in a restaurant with no, that on no, no. <laughs> your. face. no, Your busboy is going to do some things that's to your our, food.
0: you know, but that's as a culture, that's our responsibility that we've created people, who who their relationship to the rest of the culture is done behind tattoos on their faces and th- I mean that's, you know, it's one thing when I see an art director in fucking Hollywood with a neck tattoo that says you know Beyonce you know forever or something, <laughs> but you know it's another it's an entirely different thing when you see. You know, um, these folks with the whole face done up with tattoos and they've they've clearly just decided where they are going to live in the culture. And we've made that possible for them because we've not given them too much hope to do. You know, it's not like, you know, you're not you're going to have a hard time getting a job. No, I've decided I'm not going to. You've decided for me because you've you've put me in prison since I was a kid Um, and, and you've probably put my father in prison since he was a kid. Um, uh, and it might be, you might have put me in prison because, uh, I had a drug problem, not because I had, but, but I may have, you know, come, come to the, to the, uh, uh, you know, the law enforcement may have found me because I was stealing something to support a habit or stealing something to, 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 to support my friend's habit. I mean, this it's, it's a lot more complicated and nuanced issue than just a bad guy goes to prison, unfortunately. But we create because, you know, also you go to prison, you know, you come out of prison. It's not like you're going to get hired like that. There's, you know. Yeah. And
1: I think our society is very unforgiving. I mean, I think it's a very like the whole Reagan bullshit of like, pull pull up your bootstraps type. And it's like,
0: we're almost. Ironically, and I don't know if you see on my boss's desk here, but here's a really really interesting um, irony is that among. The folks that work in treatment, there's they are many of it's a very um, they're all Republicans. Now here's why, at least in Southern California. Now you'd think because a lot of these guys are all badasses. I mean, a lot of the people that work, you know, my boss, Vietnam vet, uh, you know, comes out of a biker culture, come out comes out of you know uh, some 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 sort of badass stuff. You'd think that he would you know the law and order. Well, it was actually Ronald Reagan of all people, who um, who was the first to sign off on. Uh, the state uh, um, uh, funding drug treatment.
1: Really, I yeah. just thought it was the other way around. You
0: think, but no, this was this uniquely California thing where where it became evident that there was probably more. You know, for every dollar spent on this, it's better spent uh, treating a drug addict than jailing them or or putting them through the court system. So, so they have this very. It's and I'm I'm not. I'm a you know I'm from new york and 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 you know i'm a and your father's jewish right right and i'm a homo so you know there's nothing about that that's gonna be grew
1: up with a guy who's a mexican homosexual and he's a republican and i'm like how is this possible
0: my my partner's that he's like orange county all the way and he's he's you know he's uh you know modified his stuff a little bit but he's uh uh i think the republican party has changed some that it's not the it's
1: definitely it's it's definitely uh the the republicans have made reagan into a guy he actually wasn't yeah he but wasn't actually for bigger government yeah. grew, yeah. exp-
0: but that's a whole different thing yeah. <laughs> but no so so that's uh uh it's not a um uh it's you know the people we deal with here um, and we deal with them not as like oh you poor guys we deal with them as like Here's the deal. Here's what you gotta do. Here's how you gotta take care of this. And we deal with them in the same way that we deal with the Hollywood folks that come in here, or the music industry, the folks that come in here, or the 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 eighteen-year-old kid who's hopped up on OxyContin. We deal with those guys you're um, the same. And some people warm up to that, some people get that. I got it. I came here because I had heard that it was kind of a hardcore um uh program. And I figured I needed a hardcore program. I'd been sort of bullshitting my way through uh, a few years previous to that of going in and out of the program and, and, and not uh, not getting what I thought I needed. And I came here and I think uh, – and then I stuck around. You asked the original question here. It was like – and then I stuck around and I and I, at first I worked in the clinical doing sort of stuff directly related to um, clients and just being sort of uh, – with the idea of maybe I'd get a certification and and work from a more clinical point of view. But then I kind of realized I'm like, oh, wait a minute. There's a whole other side of this – this thing that is drug treatment and that is the business side of it. And that's the, that's the, the, the administrative side of it. And I began to work in that area, that realm and weirdly became really fascinated with the bureaucracy of, of, of getting money from the government and, and, uh, and providing funding and managing this whole operation. I, it was, it makes sense as somebody who was, you know, worked in production, worked in, basically project management and all of that it made sense that i had developed some skills along the way that would i could just you know you can apply that stuff to anything
1: right in in a weird way this i don't know if this is gonna sound corny but do you feel like you've found a home or you've come home or this is your place like this is like it's like, all led to this and now no, you're God, no <laughs> no Again, Again no, too okay. many movies as a kid. No, no, well
0: that's just it. I think we I I mean I think we I think you get up to a certain age you learn that that stuff isn't necessary. I'd like to cuz I I would have thought that when I was living in New York. It's all oh, come to this. Well, no, it, God knows it didn't. Now, I think this is um I don't you know what I don't know what this is. I know that I'm devoted to this, that I know that this particular institution has just been around for 40 years. I know that the leadership of this institution is is getting uh older. And that there's going to have to be some people that are going to have to pick up where these guys and these men and women who have devoted so much of their life to this. And there's a real passion for this stuff. And I think I understand that. And I think, you, you know, to, to step into that leadership is something that I might be interested in. But it's not something that I'm, you know, because this impact itself and there's two or three other treatment centers that have a that are kind of legendary in the work that they do and the, the many years that they've done it and the influence they've had on a lot of people's lives. Um, and that's a big legacy to make sure continues. And I think I might be somebody that understands that and might be able to be part of that. So, so, so yeah, I might be here, but I might also, you know, I, I, I'm developing um, uh, knowledge. I have a knowledge base now, whereas, before, you know, again, I'm doing the footwork. I was this guy's actual assistant for a couple of years. And I'm like, this is – that's where it led me, if you want to know. I mean, that's where I was like, for a guy who – didn't do any of the footwork in my other career, and, and, and as a result kind of was just a bunch of hot air, and, and, and now I've actually, I've done that footwork a little later in life, but I've done that, and now I have this base of knowledge, and I have relationships that are solid because of that, and I have respect of, of, of everybody. The things that I think I was craving before, I got by doing sort of more humble stuff. I don't know if you're, you know, sort of the same idea. It's like maybe I just do what I do instead of trying to pretend to be somebody else. I'm just going to do what I do. I think
1: with that comes a lot more joy. I think I mean, just, for me, or just
0: or just simple, just joy or you know, being okay with just the simple things in life. My life has has expanded in ways I never thought it would again i had working in the in the field that i did which is not hard to you know you look at the success that our peers have and you look at the kind of because of the concentrated nature of the entertainment business you know you can make a lot of money real quick because or or you can make big big money for doing a, a relatively small amount of work compared to a lifetime of work that this you know you know we have friends that you know you do well on a sitcom you're going to be you know you're going to make a lot of money for a long time you know Um, that's not how life works in other jobs. I don't, you know, there's I don't see any,
1: any (laughs) aspect
0: of this job that all of a sudden I'm going to come into, you know, because I, you know, was particularly good in a group last week or, 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 or getting a grant, you know, if anything, it's, and I make, I made a, I make a sliver of what I might have, what my peers make. And don't think I don't remind them that every time the check comes when we go out to dinner, I'm so, I'm so not afraid to just go. You know, you know what I did today? I saved some lives. Is what I did today. What a, you know? So, <laughs> so maybe you could pick up the check.
1: Out of, uh, I guess this is sort of the last thing. It just is I know there's probably been a lot of rewarding and. and mo- is there anything that sort of one moment that really sticks out above all the others in your time here that was sort of like, oh, this is why I'm doing this, or, or no.
0: No you I'm know, looking for comes, that
1: Spielberg it, moment. No, no, but,
0: but it comes it it comes in a couple of different ways. It comes from my own personal growth, where I see changes on how I relate to the world and the way I and, and that's a direct result of this. But then I see it in other people around here. and the, we get Spielberg moments here all the time. As much as we get David Lynch moments here, which is which is you know, we also get the Spielberg moments, which is the people that have um, done the work who then go away they, you know you saw them when they came in no teeth you know shot out uh, court issues financial issues um, all these things and they 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 do what they do here they leave they continue doing the, the 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 work we need to do to stay clean and sober and they come back and all of that is different the, they're they're healthy they're buying their first house they're reunited with their kids they are, um, or they a friend of mine, I just got, I, on my, I just saw, I, he just got into Columbia. This is a guy that I sat next to while he kicked, you know, and this is a guy who, who was just a piece of shit. He was a piece of shit. He was this just spoiled, shitty kid who came in, who thought the world owed, owed him everything. And I sat next to him while he, he kicked shitty dope. And I sat with him for, for you know, an afternoon and, 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 and disliked him for many, many years, for many, many months that he was here. Um, but then noticed that he started to sort of, you know, and then he and 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 he did some work and he did the thing and he he do he do, you know it's hard to say what we do but we do it, and then and today I just saw you got an acceptance acceptance letter to Columbia. That's um but then even less like that is the older black woman who came in here and she'd been smoking crack for, you know, um, you know, thirty years and 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 uh, has just deep regret and deep self. Hatred and deep, you know, pain in her life. To see her come out of that, and to see her make changes and become a part of a community, and then come to work for us here. I mean, there's all sorts. Of, there's there's moments like that all the time. So it's not just one. I can't. Uh, and it's not, and that's not like why we do it. I mean, and we're really right, cynical right, right. about that shit too. Because as much as they just had that experience, they can relapse tomorrow. I can relapse tomorrow. I mean, none of this shit's guaranteed for us. It's all. Uh, it's all. You know, it's all just what today is all about, which is the Buddhist idea, which is you know, is all all that we have. You know, I just know that as long as I stay, if I have some some amount of humility and some amount of of just gratitude for what my life is today, I'm going to be okay. I never had that shift before. I didn't know humility if it smacked me in the face, and I certainly didn't have gratitude. I had uh, a sense of entitlement and a sense of um, you know.
1: Yeah, those are all great. I mean, as a person who's lost those things too, it's like, then I kind of feel like, for me, it's like, now I actually feel like I can enjoy life, if that makes sense. It totally
0: makes sense, because we're not competing with with shadows anymore. We're not competing with... That's a really good line. (laughs) Well, but we're not competing with... I (laughs) mean, I really liked it. I was like, But we're not not competing with things that that we think... uh, I don't... I I genuinely celebrate my friend's recovery, my friend's uh, uh, success today, and I genuinely... I don't look at that and go fuck that should have been me. I don't do that. I don't I don't uh, um and I but I also don't do it because I'm actively trying not to. I just don't do it because it's not my um because I've I again I had to go through the process of letting go and just I think it also comes with age. I don't I don't, I don't want to say that you know we live long enough we look back and we're like oh that was that. That was what that was. <laughs> right? That was all that was. That was that. It wasn't yeah. You know, it wasn't some, you know, I thought it was all, you know, but I think, I think, I think we, I mean, if we do it right, I think uh, you and I both know that there are people that go through life a lot easier than maybe we've gone through it. Boy, yeah. I'm always, I'm like, what the fuck? What is
1: the mechanism in your whatever that makes you just glide through it? There's a guy I I know who just glides and gets everything. And it's just like, it's astounding to me.
0: Well, because I think that's just how it is. I don't think, I can't subscribe my, I can't. I love people that like you know. Everyone's got everybody has skeletons in their closet. Like no, no, they don't. Not every family is dysfunctional. Some families are marvelous families with great kids, and they they and that's just how it is. There's no reason for that. There's no it's and some families are dysfunctional that's just how it is
1: it's easier to i think to discredit things to be like oh all families are fucked up right. it's like no because no, that just <laughs> that makes it the world safer for you to yeah. be like yeah hey, you're all fucked up right. like, no, no. I,
0: but but i mean i can own my fa- i can own the fact that my family was just, dis- that's just again it comes down to that buddhist idea of like it is what it is i can't change that for many many years i didn't actively like oh i can change it but i i existed in victimhood and i covered it up uh, because I remember, and I was a, a, a physically abused child also, and I, and I, but I never, I, my ego was too big to actually legitimately cop to being a victim. You know, I was too big. I, I, I was. I remember saying to myself, well, "I'm not going to be a victim of this. I'm not going to be," because I had this really contemptuous view of people who they got to, you know, the, in life they were like, "Oh, my life sucks because my mom, pa- my mom beat me," and I was, I was determined not to have that. Mentality, and maybe I didn't have that headliner of a mentality, but what I had was some subconscious thing that um, that was still a victim. That was still because I was a victim. And people, In fact, it was I was a victim. Yeah, you know,
1: when people treat you. I know. I was always like, "Why are people always beating me up or treating me like shit?" And it's like I'm carrying something around that is willingness to happen. If that, if I don't know if you, I always got beat up and even my friends would fucking shit on me and I'm like why is this? And I those think it's just great. Something-
0: See those are those are it's so great. See, I don't think everybody has the uh, we ha- again, we guide people. I had to go through this process thank I had to have other people tell me to have those conversations with myself. Why do these things happen? Not because other people did them to me, but what is it about me that either not that they happen, but what is it about my perspective of that situation? You know, um And it's, it's, I can't, and especially now, look, you know, I like, I can't change that situation, but I can change, you know, what is my situation today? Am I, do I, do I feel as though people are shitting on me today? Well, what am I doing? You know, uh, you know, am I hanging out with the wrong people? It might even come down to that. I mean, there's, there's, I have to look at my behavior in relation to those people, not what those people are doing. And that for the longest time, um, that was, you know, that was going on today, you know and again none of this is perfect none of this is a proven uh formula for me except well it is in in the sense that i am a much more balanced person today whereas when i was living in new york in early early years in in la it was um it was ego and it was it was it was denial and it was lies and it was manipulation it was all those things that i was using to sort of prop myself up because i just i came in and this was shit that i you know when i was a youngster the, I did, you know, the again, the neuroses and the anxieties that I had as a kid weren't normal. Those weren't normal. And they weren't the result. I mean, yes, I had a mother that was a, a shrew to me. And she was, you know, unloving and violently uh, abusive to me. Um, but that was that. And then there was just my everyday living, which was like a kid that played baseball and all this stuff. But I, you know, I just, I can still today conjure up. The ex- again it doesn't have the power on me today but I can con- I can remember the painful episodes of of my of embarrassment of fear of awkwardness of all that stuff and if they're still present that present in me today how powerful were they for me back then and of course I needed Jack Daniels or marijuana or sex or masturbation or whatever to, to manage that stuff of course I needed that And then you lump in, again, you lump in all that shit with, uh, you know, as I grew up and I became, I think, like, I was not a likable. I would have beat me up. (laughs) I would have. I I used
1: to always wonder that, too. I'd be like, if I saw me, would I be like, look, that's fucking asshole. I totally get that. I
0: was a totally arrogant snobby. But it was all operating from fear. I didn't know who I was. And I wasn't cool. I looked around. I'm like, how are people fucking cool? It wasn't until I got to New York and I found some sense of myself and i think i you know i got to new york i found a gay crowd i really liked because i never had a good community a good relationship with the gay community i was i was always this guy i wasn't i didn't know how to be i i mean not and i i mean some of my best friends are flamboyant so and i would never say that oh i wasn't flamboyant so i was a better queer it was none of that it was just that i didn't know how the boston gay crowd was this incredibly you know they had They ironed their sweaters and had like flower parties, and it was just I just didn't know how to beat that person. (laughs) I just didn't, and you can ask any of my friends through the years, my gay friends. I was never a very good homosexual in that sense. Plus, I worked in the comedy business, and for the longest time, that was not a. I really had to be a dickish guy, to sort of.
1: The comedy scene's a little homophobic, would you? It was. It was even more so at the time,
0: and then I also took it all the way to you know I I regret deeply some of my. First, I used to hate Louis C.K. I used to hate him because I never got... Because as it happened, I never got his jokes. I look at Louis C.K. today, and I'm like, he's one of the most brilliant, you know, humor, uh, comedy guys out there. But back in the day, he was operating at such a high level that every time he brought up anything homo... And I was a young gay guy who was all about, like, watching everybody's P's and Q's because I was the only guy in the gay scene that was, that was gay, at least that was openly gay about it. Um... Uh, but, but I remember, I used to always be very, uh, I'd get so self-righteous about Louis and his, he had some, he had some, some hilarious, like stuff about blowing guys or something like that. It was old, it was old stuff. And I remember I used to, and I'm so, I, I, I think about it now. I'm like, that's, I'm so embarrassed that I missed for as much as I think I know humor and all that stuff that I missed where he the level it. But I was also clouded by my own fear and my own. Kind of self-importance, and I'll never. I remember I was hanging out with. He's dead now, but I remember uh, there was a. He's not. this uh, River Phoenix is dead. It's a River Phoenix story. He was hanging out with a um, a guy, that, a comic actor who's still in the business today. And I don't know if he's out, so I won't. I won't. But he. We were all friends in Boston.
1: Adam Sandler.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> No, and interestingly this fellow I'm curious how he sees now that everybody's real comfortable because he was he was weird about his um about he was one of these guys that Jim Carrey no, no I'm kidding I'm kidding I'm kidding no. um, but he was palling around with River Phoenix at the time and I'm not I'm I never quite clear on River's but we were all sort of mixing it up uh just hanging out we were just finishing up at the comedy connection in in Boston we were all going to go over to this other con- this other guy's place and River was with us and I was in this early stage of kind of letting everybody know I was gay and being all full of that. And I remember I was putting it out there as we were walking. And this one guy stepped back with me, let River and whoever else was walking with us move ahead. He goes, you know, William, all you are is gay. And he of let me know that and walked. And this was a successful comedian. He was at the time, he was, you know, he was but gay. But closeted. Um, and I remember that had such a powerful effect on me. Because I was younger. He was more successful at that time. He was maybe a little older than I was. And he was hanging with River. You know, so that was, you know. And it was, it affected me. On one hand, it, it cut deep. On the other hand, I was like, fuck you. It, it it had that dual thing. Right. On one hand, deep inside, it hurt really, really bad. And there might have been some truth to it. I look at it now and I said, of course there was some truth to it. Because I was a, I was a, a young man who was figuring out what was what, and because of my how I live externally, just as it's just who I am, I have to put that. Of course, it was. Of course, that he was true. It was. It was true. Could it have been delivered differently? <laughs> could, it have, could it have not come from a guy who was a sleaze ball around that shit anyway?
1: Oh, I think I know who you're talking about.
0: I wonder if you do. Um, um,
1: when we're when the mics
0: are off. <laughs> now I have to write You said eighty-seven. Yeah, but it was. Uh, I don't even know if you know. This guy was. Uh, I'll write no. it down. I, so uh, by the audience. first. Oh yes, yes. You know what I'm talking about? Uh huh. Is he, is he? Is he? But everybody knows, right? I, I think he's also. Everybody
1: knows in the scene.
0: Right, and he's actually quite open about it in the scene. Right, and I'm talking
1: not. to you, Foster Brooks. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Is it? But speaking of which, one of the things I do know is that he was a big drinker. And Foster Brooks? No, well that, no. That oh know. yeah, yeah. Is he a... still? Is that still? Because that was one of the things that later on I, be, I began to look at and go. <clears throat> because well,
1: somebody said I forget what he, what he was like. Yeah, he cleaned up for a while. I love that we're talking about. I and and <laughs> then someone was like, his reason for cleaning up was he's like, I don't remember my thirties. And I was, I just, I was like, let me recap for you. You were drunk <laughs> and you were blowing people and not talking about it. <laughs> That's pretty – because I would see him and the person I thought you were talking about who – I think I know who you're talking about. Tried to pick up on me when I was 18 in Chicago, and I had – I was so naive I didn't know.
0: Write down who you think it's uh, (laughs) – I think it's because if it's not – because we were in Aspen together. This is like
1: uh, – what was the – there's that old 50s TV uh, game show.
0: Yes, exactly. exactly. Oh my! And the
1: thing is, is, is like so funny that you say this that. <laughs> comedian who's oh, I was almost gave it away. <laughs> but every 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 twink looking come, uh, person yes. I know has been, and there was stories of him like uh, yes. that I would hear. Like some guy was like, "Oh yeah, I met him in New York with."
0: Because uh, my last encounter with the first person we were talking about was at an event in Aspen at the Aspen Comedy Festival, and it was years years had passed, obviously. And, uh, and I was maybe a little better about who I was. I was also doing well in the business. So I, there was all, so whatever it was, it was, but I remember encountering these two and me and the one having a catch up, having a catch up conversation, but also, and again, you know, everything these guys, <clears throat> these guys were pros at not really showing their cards, as it were. But um, but no, anyway, there's no story here except that I remember seeing those two and I'm like, I bet those, I know exactly what's going on there. Not that they were together, but that they were kind of... Yeah, I
1: would see, you know, I saw... A, dy- a dynamic duo. I would see them at the improv sometimes with very That's young kids hilarious. who looked terrified. And I, I, part of me wanted to be, like, having gone through one of these evenings where... And I was just a naive teenager. I didn't, I'd never been hit on by a guy before. I, and some friends were like, I think... Oh fuck <laughs> Chicken hawk you and uh but it's and I was I was like oh I don't think so. He's talking about girls and he's and he was just p- playing me the whole time. We'll have it was, to take you know, out this the name.
0: Is, we this was this was one of my things is that I, I never I never wanted that to be a part of my story when I as a as an executive in the business, as somebody who worked in the business. I never that just and it's the same and you know, it has you know, it's that's always And it's never been hard for me. It's never been like, oh, I'd really like, although I will tell you one time, and he's, uh, uh, who's our dear friend that, uh, who passed away a few, couple of years ago. Um, uh, just terrific guy. And, and, uh, but a heroin addict, long hair. Um, Oh, not Greg, Greg, uh, no, no. Who was also a friend who, Oh, uh, Mitch Hedberg, Mitch Hedberg. (laughs) I will never forget. Talk about misreading. Uh, we were at, uh, at catch and I was we had in, we had a, a you know we had a green room that after a show we were all hanging out in and stuff and again I was so fucking just not even if I wasn't loaded I just was still in that just messed up headspace and I remember <coughs> we had had some big show and we were all in the in the green room backstage probably passing a joint and laughing and all that stuff and Mitch who was visiting from L A who I'd never. Um, met before nor seen before and i think he did some time on stage and he was he was great but but i just remember there's there's no story here except for me noticing that mitch and he if you remember mitch he had a great little he had a gaze he had a certain gaze that he would he could just sort of survey a room is what i is this is how i was first and i and of course i'm you know like he's checking checking me out and again being that i thought i was the shit because i ran a fucking stage in new york um I remember we all went out after that. And I uh, figured that, well, let me just close this deal with Mitch. Who well, Mitch was probably nodding out at that point, is probably what was happening. <laughs> and Mitch very graciously and very politely kind of probably got that in my stupid, arrogant way was, was maybe just thinking that, you know, I just needed to talk to Mitch. To, and I, I don't think I ever slept with anybody in the uh, – I don't think I ever messed with anybody in the comedy scene. I don't think I –
1: I like that it's a question.
0: <laughs> I, well, I'm trying I, – I I have to – I'm thinking about that, and I just – I don't think I – think I...
1: there's a lot of people who are in – that don't – it's it's sad to me that people still got to stay in the closet in these days. I mean, I get it. Show Busy was – like the whole Travolta thing. I was like, what's – and people are like, can you believe it? And I'm like, Ugh. what's – what I can't believe is that we have to – that we still live in this Well, you know what, time. though?
0: I, for a while there, with Funny Game Males, for a while there, interestingly also, I became – the guy that managed all these gay stand up comics. And I never got laid around that. That's the whole the, the No whole, one
1: gets laid in comedy. No,
0: I know. I know <laughs> Unless even,
1: you're like superstar. Like people like when I go on the road, people are like, yo, oh, so you getting a lot I'm like, no. <laughs> I know. Not at all. Never. If, and
0: and even and I remember the first time I I, I uh, we had a four hundred seat theater, funny gay males first night in Boston. I'd sold the whole run out for like four weeks. It was kind of my first big kind of success thing. And and I thought and I and I remember And I was a schlumpy gay guy that was just kind of running around uh, and and I had these guys and I was like, and I hadn't arranged for anybody to sort of intro these guys. So I'm like, oh, all right. And and in my kind of making sure that everything's cool at the theater and everybody's on, I was like, oh, fuck, I got to introduce these guys. And then it's done. I'm like, I'm about to stand. And I was like 22 years old, 23, you know, and I was about to stand up in front of a, you know, 400 homosexuals. Which I'd ne- I had a hard time walking into a gay bar at that time, let alone, you know, sober, let alone getting up in front of a uh, a bunch of, you know, hypercritical, you know, uh, uh, gay guys who were going to stand. So I just had this meltdown in the bathroom for a second, went up and, and, and did my thing. But for a time there, I was... I managed just about every gay comic in the business, which is just the most bizarre thing when I think about it now that that it even exists. I mean, there's comics that do a lot of gay material, but for the while there, there was these outliner, these outbounders that, I mean, they're still working today, but that were kind of doing stuff, and we were booking them not at. I was not interested in booking them at, you know, at you know the cock and balls down in the you know in 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 chelsea i was interested in getting them into the stand-up rooms that uh, that i knew they needed to be in and that took a lot of work to do and then we did the first uh comedy central stuff and things like that so for a while there we were kind of doing some interesting stuff that that uh got some attention because it hadn't been done before but i never got laid over that you'd think i would and that's how much game i had back then i think it's comedy I think it is.
1: I, I mean, I know, I I know unless they're, Jerry Minor said to me, he's like, oh, I learned what the secret of getting laid is. He's like, get on TV, and I was like, man, well, that's. And well, it's like you have to
0: consistently be on TV to get laid. And let me tell you something. I also, I this you remind me of one of this. There was a guy. Do you remember? Do you do you ever heard of Larry Amarose? No. Larry Amarose Nice
1: to have a name we don't have to write down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Larry was unfortunately I think Larry got it. Larry was a writer for the Joan Rivers show. And I just remember a friend of mine knew that Larry was coming in... A friend of mine in comedy knew that Larry was coming into town to work at the Catch-In Boston. And he said, you should go... Larry's gay. You should go talk to Larry. Because I was struggling with how... Because this is when I was just simply performing. And I'm like, how I? And I had Jamokes like the guy we were just talking about, going, you know, all you are is gay. So I didn't have exactly the best... You know, there was nobody saying, I oh, don't no, you know, working with me on material. You know, because I didn't know what... You know, I didn't know what that looked like because there was nobody before me that was what I did know is there were snap queens that like in between strippers at at gay clubs and they weren't funny at all I knew funny these guys weren't funny (coughs) and um, but I remember going to see Larry I somehow got in touch with him and I remember as a young gay comedian guy I went to to the catch and I sat with him and I didn't We didn't talk much about what it was to be a gay comedian. We did none of that. What he did, and I just love it, he showed me how he wrote jokes and he wrote them. Uh, His rule on jokes was if they couldn't, if they didn't fit on a cocktail napkin, then, then there was no joke. And what he would do is he would just write these jokes, write these jokes, and then he would go up on stage and just read the cocktail napkins. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And he, he himself was this kind of terribly attractive fellow. And, um, at least to me, he wasn't. I was a young, Hot little gay kid who thought anybody over thirty was a was a pig. So I don't. He may have. He may have been a good looking guy. I don't know. But um, but I just remember that it wasn't. We didn't go down there to talk. He didn't talk to me about. He talked to me about comedy, and that's what, you know, that's what I always sort of you know. The, I never is in as much as I I managed gay comics, and that was sort of my kind of thing for a minute. It was all about getting them. It was about the. It was always about the comedy. It was always about the humor and all that stuff. I don't know why
1: that was a. That brings us back to Barry Silver. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have to wrap this up. I think I I will never be able to uh, overcome an. Abol- I think we I think
0: we I think we righted the ship. I think. We I were, think we
1: did. I uh my 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 I I had empty sails there for a little bit. <laughs> I felt really deflated. But uh, I thank you for your patience. I really appreciate you. Uh, your, your hopefully, nice. uh, it's. It, I think it'll be great. Um, but I, if we well, got off to idea. a rolling start there, and no one will ever know it but us.
0: I just, I just you know, what pains me the most is that, like, uh, talking about Dave Becky. I, I, like, I wish we I, like. That's what I was like. Oh, because I said things, nice things about Dave Becky. Who you I
1: don't, You don't want to have say nice
0: things. No, no, no. Him? No, I'm, <laughs> no, because I'm like, I'm like, oh, because I hated Dave Becky. No, I hated the idea. I didn't. Dave Becky's the nicest guy in the world.
1: Yeah, he's been always very solid to me. He's
0: terrifically nice. I just hated the idea of Dave Becky because I was I could never be Dave Becky.
1: He's, uh...
0: There's another David. Dave, uh, there's Dave Minor who works with him. No, there's Dave. There's a redheaded Dave, David, um, that works for... Breath? Dave Rath. Yeah, yeah, Dave Rath. Breath. He's, yeah, he's has Is he sold the
1: business? He is. He just, uh, sold his business to a bigger business, so he's... used to part- have these
0: crazy-ass parties at a... Place in Encino at this house in Encino that was just insane. Was yeah, really he gone. just got married. Well, then those days are over. That much I know. You never know. Oh, know. <laughs> <Well>, that's true. <laughs> that's true.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you, man. I don't know um, why I'm shaking your hand. Nobody can see it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this conversation with Matt Dwyer and William McLaughlin. I really think that's a great one. If you enjoyed this. Uh, episode, please tweet about it, tell your friends I need, I need, and review it, go to iTunes and review my show that's really, really important you can also, if you want, you can donate to my show, uh, because I drive all over the place for this thing and, uh, I gotta eat lunch and I gotta pay for gas, and I won't lie to you, not a lot of money in the podcast world and I'm not getting a lot of other work in the, uh, in the showbiz department right now. It's tough out there, everybody. You know this, but, you know, you could uh, make coffee at home instead of shitty Starbucks and you can give me a couple of the dollars. I don't like asking for money. I'm Irish Catholic. I got a lot of guilt. That's not easy for me to do. But if you don't want to, like, give me money directly, you can go on the feralaudio.com website there and you could go shopping through my link on Amazon and I get that money. I get that money. And go, and by the way, speaking of feralaudio.com, go to the website and uh, check out some of the other shows there. There's some really, really super-duper awesome shows. There's Dong Teeny with my friend Stephanie Drury. And uh, there's uh, there's a lot of great shows, not just uh, guys, me talking to uh, weirdo people, but comedy. Hoodly do. There's a lot of hoodly do there. So thank you. And please, please, please tell everybody about this show if you enjoyed it. And if you didn't enjoy it, shut your flapper and review it on on iTunes anyway. Have some good karma for yourself. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you very soon. So I breathe. It's back to you. Be the child.
0: Collective
1: hosted by castmates.fm. Host your own podcast at castmates.fm today. All of our artists reserve the rights to their materials. Your animations directly support your favorite artists, help pay for their shows' production, and keep your favorite shows free. Visit FairAudio.com for other original shows and learn about our community and artists that help make this collective possible. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This album features the music of The Fancy, We Are The Fancy.net. I can't believe how cold it is. It's so cold. Are you, you, you it's
0: so cold.